Good morning, Rimrock Church. It is such a blessing to be here with you all and to see all of your names. Uh, my name's Hannah. I don't have a name tag. Sorry, I'm already failing at that, but I, <laughs> you know me, Darcy. But I'm excited to be here and just invite you guys to worship our King this morning. In the darkness we were away without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets. To a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the
now and tell us what's happening next. to seek God together, to discern God's will uh, together as we seek to serve God here in the Black Hills. And in that time, if you notice on the communion tables, there's some banners. Uh, one of our ISI students had those made in Ghana for us, and so he's going to share a little bit about the significance of that. We also have new members, and I uh, asked uh, Carrie, one of the new members, to share her testimony, her story. It's an amazing story of God's God's redemptive power. So I'd invite you to come, whether you're a member or even if you're not, just to come and learn about um, our church. Also next week, we have a, a first step group that meets in the gathering place at the 1030 hour. And if you're new to Rimrock, uh, we would love uh, to get to know you and share a little bit about uh, the story of, of this community, this body of Christ that's, that's been formed. And so uh, that's next week. So as we come to the communion table this morning, we're going to do something a little different. We're actually going to uh, get out of our seats, and we're going to uh, come. There's two tables up here in front. There's two tables in the back, and we'll do that in a minute. But I want to just share something about the importance of, of this for us as, as Christians. Uh, we're going through the book of Judges right now, and uh, what uh, Boomer talked about and Nick talked about the last few weeks was this cycle, right, where... The people of God uh, choose idolatry, they turn away from God and their sin and the oppression and the slavery that came from that as they begin to worship the gods of the culture around them, and then they would repent, they would cry out to God, and God would send a deliverer. 
And I think the, the great term for this is the redemptive cycle. God is a redemptive God. He's a God who takes brokenness and he makes something out of it. He makes new life out of it. He brings out of ashes something beautiful and good. And God is in the salvation business. He is a saving God. He's a redemptive God. He's a delivering God. And as we come to the communion table as, as Christians, we begin to remember who God is and who we are. If you remember last week, as Boomer shared, one of the key applications out of Judges is the people forgot, right? It's a, it's a call to remember who God is, who we are, because we're forgetful. <laughs> and the older I get, the more forgetful I get, right? So we need to remember who we are. And I want to read out of Romans chapter 8 as we prepare for uh, the Lord's table. This is what Paul says about us as followers of Christ, those who are called to be his. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And so God has given his Holy Spirit to his people. He's poured out his Holy Spirit on the church. That's you and I. <laughs> He's entrusted his very presence, his very power in us. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And I, I'm a father of three boys. And when they're in trouble, they cry out, Dad, Dad. Because they know I'm, I'm listening for their voices. I love them. I'm for them. Our God loves us. He is for us. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. And so the communion table is a reminder of who we are <laughs> as God's children. We are God's children. And he has called us and he has filled us with his Holy Spirit to live in this world as, as representatives, as people who... Uh, struggle with sin and everything else the world struggles with, but are called to a holy life in God by His grace. And so we're reminded of His forgiveness. And I'd ask you guys to, to stand as we, as we prepare, and the, the, the musicians are going to sing. And, and what we're going to do is you're going to come to the table, and you're going to dip the bread, and you can take the communion right there. If you're not comfortable with that, on the sides there's some uh, little trays with some little cups, um, but there's there's tables in the back, there's tables in front, and just go ahead and when you're ready to come and, and take that bread, dip it in. And this is what Jesus said about the Lord's Supper. He says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take this, this is my body. We've all failed, we've all sinned, yet Jesus gave his perfect body. He was broken for us. He took our sin upon himself then he took a cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they drank from it and he says this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many this is god's loving relationship with us <laughs> he's shed his blood for us he said to them truly i tell you i'll not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the day when i drink it again from the kingdom of god and when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. So when you're ready, come up to the table, dip the bread in the cup, and let's remember who we are and who God is.
enjoying in this current sermon series that we're in and just as I continue to read and I, as I continue to just learn more about who God is is you just see more and more of him right we know the book the Bible is a book about God but sometimes we ask what are you doing here God or where are you here God and just the more yeah the more I've been learning the more I see him and it's been a delight to see how he is he's so motivated by love for us he wants what's best for us he knows what's best for us and just in learning that learning to trust his ways even more so we're going to sing this chorus before the song just as a reminder uh, as a praise that he has always been with us and that he is faithful Never once did we ever walk alone Never once did you leave us on our own 
pray that today, that we would become a more, more aware of how you are all around us, God, how you've always been with us, always will be. We thank you for your presence in our lives, God, that you are God who is with us. We pray now as Boomer comes, God, that you speak through him, you share your words to him and him to us, God, and that we come ready and surrendered, ready to receive from you. Well, good morning, Rimrock. How are you today? Good. Good to be with you guys again. Good to see you again. If you've got your Bibles, would you open them up to the book of Judges? That's the series that we're in. We've been in it for a few weeks now. We're just, um, chapters 1 and 2 are introductions to the book. 2 is kind of this summary of uh, what we're going to see, especially the patterns that we're going to see in the book. And then last week we were introduced to uh, our first judge by name, a man named Othnel. And we see um, in Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 7. So let's catch up just a little bit because we're just going to finish this section today on Othnel. Would you join me in uh, looking at Judges chapter 3? verses 7 through 9, and I'm reading today from the New International Version. Uh, would you guys uh, follow along as I'm reading? Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 7, it says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they forgot the Lord their God, and they served the Baals and the Asherahs. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Erishathame, king of Aram, Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othnel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. Today we're going to be looking at um, not Othnel as much as the person who called and empowered Othnel for victory. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. We're going to see it right here in verse 10. So just continue to follow along. Let's read these verses. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord came on Othnel so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. And the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othnel, who overpowered him. And so the land had peace for 40 years until Othnel, son of Kenaz, died. So I want to focus today. I, I, I appreciate, uh, you know, in fact, when we started talking about doing uh, a sermon series through the book of Judges, there are so many, like, there are so many stories, right? It's just like story after story. I love kind of telling stories. And then, and then I got Othnel, which is great. I like, I mean, it's great. It's, it's been really good. But his story is like this long, and there's not a lot of detail. And, I, and then it's two sermons on this much. And, I, and I'm thinking like, okay, all right, okay, good. 
Okay. Whew. You know, so I'm looking for lots of background material. Whew. Now that's about all we know. All right, I got a little bit in chapter one. I got a little bit in chapter three. It's good. It's good. But here's the thing. Here's what I love about this section, and I'm, I am grateful. I am grateful to be, a, to be able to be a part of the teaching um, team here. Um, but here's the surprising thing, right? Even though we don't have a, we don't have a lot of information about who Othno is, we've got critical information. And here's a guy who has a history of being faithful. Here's a guy who has a history of um, believing God's promises and is willing to act on those promises. But what I love about today's message and the reason that we're going to focus on the Spirit of the Lord is because I think as we're looking through the book of Judges, there's lots of things that uh, on the outside, on the first pass, reading through this book, like we can kind of shake our heads and wag our fingers and man, man, those guys were screw-ups. How could they do that? But I find that the more that I read it, the more I kind of begin to turn the finger the other direction and say, oh, I identify with those guys an awful lot. And here's what I love about verse 10, because I think verse 10's got hope in it, because it starts, the spirit of the Lord came on Othno. And I love the hope in that verse. Here's why. We're just going to kind of do today's message in three acts, if it's all right with you. But the Spirit of the Lord that's talked about in Judges 3, verse 10, is the Holy Spirit. So we're going to do today's message in three acts. And the first act is the Holy Spirit is God. I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Some of us are already there. Some of us are like, yeah, not sure. And the, the whole Holy Spirit thing gets a little... <clears throat> fuzzy in our culture today. Because we talk about spiritual things. And I think, I think it gets a little fuzzy. So I want to be like crystal clear this morning. Act one is the Holy Spirit is God. We worship a God, as hard as it is to understand, but we worship a God, we worship one God. But that one God is in three persons. And I want to I start, like, you might ask, like, well, how do we know some of that? Because the, the, the word that we use, like the theological word that we use to kind of sum up that idea is the Trinity. But if you do a word search, you're not going to find that in Scripture. You will not find the word Trinity, but you find the evidence of the Trinity all the way through it. In fact, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, in fact, in the very first two verses, the first two sentences of the Bible, 
And we see two-thirds of the Trinity there. Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And now the earth was formless, and it was empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There is a lot packed into Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And I'm not even going to scratch it this morning. But I would love to just pause right here and just say that I have learned so much. And I would so encourage you, if you want, honestly, if you want to do a much more um, extensive kind of spend some time learning about the Holy Spirit, I would so encourage you... um, to visit uh, BibleProject.com. They have got a, I'll say it again in just a second. But they've got such a great series on the Holy Spirit. And talks about, it just goes into a a lot of the background in all of this. BibleProject.com is just a, it's just a wonderful uh, place to kind of explore several of the themes that we see in God's Word and to begin to understand how the whole story fits together. Well, the word in verse 2, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In Hebrew, it's a, it's a fun little word called ruach, and you kind of yeah. clear that at the end. Yeah. I don't know Hebrew. I just learned that one word just for you guys today. Ruach. But here's the interesting thing, that, that fun little word. It's, uh, in Hebrew, there's one word. In English, we translate it several different ways. It's, it's flexible. It's got, we can use it several different ways. We translate it several different ways, depending on the context that we read it in. Um, in, in but that idea of ruach is God's personal presence. When we're talking about the personal use of ruach, it's God's personal presence. It's how we see it in the context here. In other places, the the Hebrew writers would um, translate it as wind, or they would translate it as breath. We see that word show up all through Scripture, and it's really, really fun. But the thing that kind of that all three of those have in common is that it's an invisible energy that animates the things that it's around. Just think about that. It's It's an invisible energy that animates the things that it comes into contact with. So we see it again just... We see it again in Genesis chapter 2. This isn't in my notes. Hold on. Genesis chapter 2. I told Ben I wasn't going to do this. I've been learning a ton this week. I said I cannot put all this in my message. Otherwise, I'm never getting to Acts 2 and 3. But if you look in um, Genesis chapter 2, when the Lord formed, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It's the same word. If you, that, you can't see it, 
but it's part of what brings life to us. If you look out the window and you see the trees moving, you can't see what's moving them, but there's a power that's moving them. And for the ancient Hebrew writers, they looked at that and they looked at this, and they said, all of that comes from God. And they began to use that word ruach in that way. Wind is powerful. God's spirit is powerful. Breath keeps us alive. And it's God's spirit that sustains life. So we see in verses 1 and 2, we see God and we see the spirit. But where's the son? If it's a trinity, it's three parts. It's father it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Well, in, verses, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, we see God say, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness, and so, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Who is there with God? Well, we know from, chat, from verse 2, that the Spirit was there. But if we, if we look further into our Bible, this is what I absolutely love about the study of the Scripture in whole, is that we'll find these links between what we're looking at and someplace else in the Bible, we'll get another clue. And as we read the whole Scripture, then we begin to understand things as we link them together. If you go all the way to... Uh, Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 15 through 17. I'll put it on the screen. The son of the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Christ all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, invisible and visible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Christ and for Christ. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now Paul understood who God was, and, and he understood this. He's writing to the believers in Colossae, and, and we're connecting back, and we're getting a clue who is the, the plural in Genesis chapter 1, that Jesus the Son was there in the beginning as well. He was before all things. So we see this idea that the Trinity, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were there before anything was created. So the whole Trinity is there in Genesis chapter 1. The Spirit is... God. It's not just chapter 1 of the Bible. It's all the way through the Bible. We see this reminder that the Holy Spirit is God. That's a great study for you to continue to do. As God like tickles something in your heart, pursue that. Look at it. Begin to look at God's word yourself. Begin to follow that thread and see where his spirit, his breath, shows up all through scripture. I want to look at act two though. 
Act one is the Holy Spirit is God. Act two is I want to look at the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. Because God's, God gives and takes his spirit differently in the Old Testament than he does in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, God's spirit was given to individuals for a specific task. And it's what we see in our scripture even today. The spirit of the Lord came on Othnel so that he became Israel's judge and he went to war. In fact, he also gave him success and victory. God gives his spirit in specific seasons for specific tasks to individuals. The very first time that we see this happen is late in the book of Genesis to a man named Joseph. Some of you guys are familiar with Joseph's story. He was the youngest at that time in his family. He was the youngest in his family. He could not keep his mouth shut. His older brothers were jealous. They sold him as a slave because they were generous. They wanted to kill him, but they thought, might as well make some money. They sell him. He's off to Egypt. He's a slave. He's in prison. And here's where we see it. Genesis chapter 41, verse 15 says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. And look at Joseph. I mean, talking to the king of the only superpower in the world at the time. Like, would there not be a temptation to say, I am your man, I can do it. But look at what Joseph says in verse 16. I can't do it. But God will tell Pharaoh the answer that he desires. Well, whose mouth do you think God's going to use? So Joseph understood that he in himself did not possess what, needed, what he needed in order to interpret dreams. But he had had a history of interpreting dreams correctly. God's spirit was on Joseph and so in verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made you, uh, made all of this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. It was God's spirit in Joseph. That's the first time that we see God's spirit in uh, being given in order to... Uh, accomplish a specific task. The second time we see this show up is in the book of Exodus. Now God's rescued these people through Moses. He's brought them out. Now they're at the, the foot of Mount Sinai. God's giving them instructions on how to build the tabernacle. That's this movable tent where God's presence would come and dwell and the people would come and worship. And it was a whole thing. And look at uh, Exodus chapter 35, starting in verse 30. It says, Then Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has chosen Beziel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom and understanding and knowledge, with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold and silver and bronze, to cut and set stones, 
to work in wood and to engage in all kinds of artistic crafts. God's spirit is poured out into into an individual, giving them what they need for a specific task. Later, we see God's spirit being poured out on a group of people called the prophets. And he gave the prophets the ability to see history from God's perspective. Peter writes about this in 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through hu- uh, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by what? Is it up there? By what? The Holy Spirit. I didn't put it up there. Pop quiz. The Holy Spirit, right? So here's Peter understanding that the prophets spoke, but they didn't speak out of their own uh, agenda. They didn't speak out of their own desire. In fact, that job of prophet was pretty tough. So several of them said, I'll pass. God said, Aunt, you won't. And he pours out his spirit on them and he uses them in that for that specific task. The prophets, as a whole group of people, were not only warning the people of God to turn away from their sin, to honor their part of the covenant, and so receive the blessing that God would pour out on them, but they also pointed to a time when God's Spirit would come and would bring new life to God's people. But this time, the new life would come from in the hearts of the people. Isaiah chapter 6, one of the, one of the great prophets, uh, Isaiah chapter 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness, and release from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Verse 11 says, For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. God's Holy Spirit brings new life. And the prophets are pointing to a future where that's going to happen. In fact, those are promises that God's people hold on to all of the years that they were in exile as they were living under the thumb of of foreign kings in foreign places looking for the time when they would be able to come back. On your own, look at Ezekiel chapter 37 and Joel chapter 2. I put them in your notes. But look those up. Look at the way that the prophets look forward to and, and point to the spirit that's going to come. Now, 
in the, in the midst of this week, I, it caused me to kind of ask this question, like, why would God have worked the Holy Spirit? Why, why would the Holy Spirit work that way differently in the Old Testament than the New Testament? Because there's definitely a shift. We'll see the shift. It'll be clear. But why? Why would God give his spirit and take his spirit? Give his spirit and take his spirit. Why would he choose to do that? And it was really just interesting because I think the clue comes from Exodus 25. It's right there where God's talking to Moses about building this tabernacle, this tent where God's presence would come and be in the midst of the people. And that tent traveled with the people as they moved from place to place. But that tent was always in the middle of the camp. And, and Exodus 25 verse 8, it says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, God speaking. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern that I will show you. I think that's a clue for us. Why did God give his spirit and take his spirit? Give his spirit and take his spirit. It's because God's presence, God's ruach, dwelled in that tabernacle. That was the place where the people could come and interface with God. They could come and meet with God, right? That's where the priests did their work. And so God's presence was there in the midst of their camp, in the midst of their camp. And even later, as they get to Jerusalem and Solomon builds the temple and God's presence is in the temple, which is in the center of the city, even then, God's presence was in that that location in the center of, of where the people lived. But there's a shift that happens in the New Testament. Let's look at Act 3, the, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. What happens? There's a shift. Matthew chapter 3 in verse 16, we see this. <clears throat> You'll recognize the story. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God, Ruach, descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love, and with him I am well pleased. So now we see this spirit of God coming kind of in a, a visual of a dove coming and landing on Jesus. And at this, okay. Do you guys see a parallel between the, the Matthew 3 and the Genesis 1? Do you see in Matthew 3 the Holy Spirit coming down over the waters of baptism? And in Genesis 3, where was the Spirit of God? Hovering over the waters. Do you see it? And in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, and the Spirit was hovering over the waters, and then what begins to happen in the rest of chapter 1? New life. Right? The Holy Spirit brings life. And now here we have Jesus 
and the Holy Spirit comes down on Jesus and it's like God saying, hey, 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 pay attention. Because through him, new life is going to come. Buckle up, folks, because something big is about to happen. My spirit is coming again. Just wait, because new life's to follow. Gosh, studying God's word is really cool, isn't it? Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, this is how he sums up this whole scene. He says, at the beginning of Jesus' mission, there's a beautiful scene where Jesus is baptized in the waters of the Jordan River, and the sky opens up, and God's Spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. And this story, this story's saying that God's Spirit is empowering Jesus to begin a new creation. And we'll see this happening when he heals people and when he forgives their sins. He's creating life where there was once death. And that's exactly what unfolds. In fact, later Jesus points to himself when he's looking at Isaiah 61. And he says, I fulfill that. I fulfill that. All right, we're in the home stretch now. The Holy Spirit in the New Testament. I just want to point out a couple of these things as we see it kind of unfolding as we read through the, the New Testament part of God's story. But at the end of his mission, God, Jesus makes this bold and beautiful promise that the Holy Spirit would come to all believers. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says, on, on one occasion while they were eating, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He says, just wait. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's a great commission, and we claim that for all believers, not just the disciples that were there around Jesus in the moment. But he's, Jesus is specifically saying, my Holy Spirit is going to come on those that belong to me. And, the, and that promise is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, Jesus has gone back to heaven. And the day of Pentecost, the believers are gathered together, not just the twelve right? A much larger group of believers. And when the day of Pentecost came, all of them were together in one place. And suddenly the sound, oh, get this now, suddenly the sound of a blowing, like the blowing of a violent what? Wind. Yeah, same word. Came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting and they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And so all believers, and what's beautiful in the book of Acts is we see over and over and over and over as people come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given. People come to Jesus, the Holy Spirit is given. When there's a question about whether people are saved, the Holy Spirit comes, and then 
they're baptized. I mean, it's, a, it, it's boom, 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 all through the book of Acts. It's like, okay, yeah, we catch the pattern. I mean, even those of us who can't put together the pattern can put together the pattern. When we're saved, God pours out his spirit on us. A beautiful promise in Ephesians. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you were saved. When you believed and you were marked with him, you, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So now, the shift is, God doesn't dwell. His presence is not available to us in a tabernacle or a temple. It is certainly not in the walls of this building. Because now the promise is, you are the temple. You are the dwelling place of God. He has put his spirit in you believer. And your tabernacle travels around into your neighborhoods, into your places of worship, into the stores that you go to. You carry God's presence into those dark places. You are the temple of God. And so we don't need a tabernacle anymore. We don't need a temple anymore. We don't even need a building anymore because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are the temple of God. You carry God's spirit in you. And so it was God's spirit who called and empowered Othniel to victory. And God gave the spirit and he took the spirit. But now in the new covenant with Jesus Christ, when we believe in him and when we're saved by him, there is a deposit of the Holy Spirit put in us and we are now the temple of God. And the question that has been ringing in my ear all week is what has God's spirit called you to. We know what he called Othnel to, and we're going to see that pattern all through the book of Judges. God's spirit coming for a task. God's spirit is in you, so what? What is God calling you to? What is God empowering you for? What does God want to accomplish in our culture through you? I can't answer those questions. But those are the questions that I want you to take with you as you go today because I know for sure that when God puts his spirit in you, he is calling you to something. He's empowering you for something. And he is transforming your life for a reason.
it's worth the time to consider the answers. To have a conversation with the God of the universe who knit you together, has plans for every day of your life before the first one came to be, has numbered the days of your life, he knows when your life will end, and he has a purpose for you. I want to pray for you guys as you begin to think about those questions. What is God calling me to? What has God empowered me for? Why is God transforming me? Father, I just, um, I ask that you would bring wisdom through your spirit. Father, thank you for the incredible privilege of being temples of your very presence. Father, would you help us to steward that well? Father, would you help us to see clearly this week as we begin to pursue and lean into these questions, as we begin to ask you to reveal to us what have you called us to, what have you empowered us for? Father, please continue to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen.